if you can think or, or tell us a little bit about what's governing the strategies that folks are actually putting together around all this. So I think this is where we can even disrupt the AI ops space because everybody wants to do automation. Um, every customer I talk to every day is very focused on automating as much as possible. It's a busy world out there with new innovations each day. Though it may seem like we live in a golden age for technology and IT, it can have its downsides. The scale of disruption affecting businesses from startups to enterprise corporations is astounding. In IT, application portfolios are mind-splittingly hefty. So how do we keep it all running smooth? Hi, I'm Matt Eastwood, Senior VP of Enterprise IT Research at IDC, and I'm one of the hosts of Scaling AI Ops, Artificial Intelligence for IT Specialists and Business Outcomes, a joint venture between IDC and IBM. Joining me is Stephen Elliott, our analyst on the show, and Group Vice President of INO, Cloud Operations, and DevOps. In this episode, we're going to discuss resource optimization using the power of artificial intelligence. We'll address some of the hesitancy around adopting this evolving technology, as well as the wonders it brings using some pretty standard principles. We have spent the uh, better half of the last year and a half talking about the accelerated pace of transformation that we're seeing among all types of customers and the resulting continuum of applications and data that stretches from the edge to the core. So Stephen, I thought, Maybe before we introduce our guests, could you spend a little bit of time just talking about the the pace of complexity in our IT world and how you've seen that changing? So the, the pace and rate of technology change just continues to accelerate. And it's accelerating for a number of reasons. First and foremost, the use of uh, multiple cloud architectures, the various types of application architectures being used, um, legacy container-based, microservice-based, Kubernetes-based. Uh, we're seeing different types of, of hardware and, and software-defined infrastructure continuing to be deployed. And, and on top of all the technology complexity, we're also seeing a significant amount of process complexity. And then finally, we're seeing that, that complexity across the organizational constructs of IT and the business are, are continuing to increase. So we're seeing a, a number of different themes that are driving complexity across the ability to deliver business outcomes. And they're derived from uh, increased complexity of the technology architectures and stacks, the processes, and of course, the, the ability of the, the skills and, and how those uh, skill sets and roles are organized um, across uh, IT and the business. With that, I want to bring in our guest for today's show. Ovid Lori is the global field CTO and worldwide sales engineering leader of Turbonomic. Turbonomic is a game changer in managing IT resource optimization. So let's get into it. Yeah, so thank you for having me here, Matt. Great, Ovid. Could you tell us a little bit about Turbonomic and, and where you guys you know, came from and, and you know, a little bit on the history? It's interesting because when we first started the company, um, what we decided to do was take a top-down approach, meaning let's first figure out what problem we're going to solve, then let's figure out how to solve that problem. And really, if we step back, we looked at IT as a whole and said, look, IT 
The principal purpose is to provide the platforms and the resources to continuously assure the performance of the applications that run our businesses. And when we look at how the industry has been tackling this problem for years, what we've been doing is taking a bottoms-up approach, which is collect as much data as possible and then use that data to solve problems. What that means is we expect to fail at the one thing we're supposed to do, provide the resources across all of these different platforms that we're managing to continuously assure performance. So in order to solve this problem, we had to come up with an elegant way to do it. What if we could find a way to continuously match the demand of an application with the supply of its resources, regardless of whether it runs on virtualization or in a hyperscaler, AWS, Azure, Google, or on top of some of these modern application architectures, Kubernetes. The artifact changes, the problem remains the same. How do I continuously, all the time in real time, match the demand of something with the supply of something? And that's what we did, and that's what we do today. And I think it's important, Ovid, if you could just help us understand what you mean by the term resource optimization. Resource optimization is maybe not the right term. What we talk about is application resource management. Um, and if you think about it this way, uh, applications run well for two reasons. Number one, somebody wrote really good code and it was architected well, and we know that happens all the time. When it comes to the second point, applications run well because they get the resources they need when they need them. It's actually very, very simple, just matching supply and demand. So think about the taxi cab industry. You have a thousand cabs on one corner and you have a thousand people three blocks away and never the two shall meet. And what ends up happening is you have these incredible inefficiencies. So along comes a company called Uber and they're worth $50 billion for one specific reason. It's because every single time you click the button in the app, your car shows up in under five minutes. Otherwise people wouldn't use the app. That's what makes them valuable is the fact that they can do this in real time, match the demand to the supply. Now, if I think about IT, what we typically do, if you go back to the taxi cab example, we have, for instance, a virtual machine that needs resources. And just a few meters away, there's a physical machine that has those resources. And today what we do is we wait until somebody sends out an alarm saying, we need that taxi cab, but we can't find it. And what we're talking about is something different. What if software could understand exactly where, where the demand was at any given time, understand exactly where the supply was, make that decision so every time any application, any container, any virtual machine needs those resources, software just simply matches them up. Performance is a real-time problem. And that is where our advantage comes in because the system itself is continuously looking at the environment and making the decisions about how to align the users with the suppliers. So I'd like to just pull this back a little bit. So as we talk a little bit about the more about the value proposition for Turbo Turbonomic, maybe you could also in doing that. So as you start to think about the dilemmas that these folks are facing from this complexity, talk a little bit more about the relationship between what's happening on the IT side with the business, with the business owners. And in doing that, you know, how do you talk to people? 
and how do you relate the turbonomic story to different parts of the organization? Yeah, it's interesting because nobody ever wakes up in the morning saying, today's the day I'm going to solve the problem of how to assure performance. Um, we just keep doing what we've been doing for the last 20, 30 years. But when we think about what value I get from solving this problem and how that ties directly back to the business, if applications are so critical, then you know it's okay to spend a little more money on them, to over-provision our platforms, to buy more than we need, and then still fail. So we throw money at this problem. And then we still wait for IT to fail at the one thing it's supposed to do. We take our best people away from innovation projects, things that are actually helping the business drive forward so that they can go figure out how to fix things that shouldn't have broken. But most importantly, when somebody comes to your website and they're looking to buy something and they get to the shopping cart, and there's interference somewhere in the IT stack, they're going to go to somebody else's website and buy that same thing from somebody else. So it's absolutely critical that we solve this problem of how to assure performance because the benefits are clear. If my applications aren't slow because of resources, then my business is doing exactly what it's supposed to do and maximizing the revenue that it's supposed to be driving. So. I'd like to get, Stephen, to kind of weigh in here and get your perspective on this. So if you can kind of build on what Ovid's saying here and talk just a little bit more about how this is changing the IT of the future as you see it and even how businesses will be redefined by, by all of this. A couple of things stand out um, and, are, and are pretty common discussion points. You know, one is that there are a lot of folks that, that have to think about the application of analytics and resource planning as well as include the notion of automation. For example, some of our conversations are around just simply increasing the time to identify a problem, the time to resolve a problem, and the time, you know, automating certain resource decisions to help prevent problems. Uh, we've had other conversations with customers uh, from large IT organizations that also focus on, well, the who, and what are the types of skills that I need to think about defining the right process, automating that process, or even you know, considering not only full automation, but when are there points in the process where maybe a human has to get involved uh, to move it forward. Um, we've had other conversations that, that think about understanding the type of analytic models that are required to solve different types of outcomes. And some of these, for example, are you know, predictive uh, capabilities to isolate when a particular set of resources might uh, inhibit the performance of a service. Others are around, you know, rapid identification of, of an issue. And then certainly in other conversations, uh, you know, um, closed loop automation, where you actually have autonomous operations or, you know, situational automation that can drive a particular set of steps forward in a you know fully automated, fully auto-remediated, uh, self-healing type of manner. So we've seen all these types of use cases across our conversations, and it's a combination of not only understanding the technology, the type of analytics that you want to achieve a particular benefit for, and then being very surgical about that in the use case, but also then you know really recognizing who are the right people that should be involved uh, to drive this particular use case forward and 
on an ongoing basis, right, to then continue to build upon the early successes that these teams have to broaden out its, its, its adoption and, and to drive even a, a higher return on investment. There is so much to absorb there. We'll hear more from Ovid Lurie from Turbonomic in a minute. You're listening to Scaling AI Ops, a podcast by IDC and IBM for industry leaders and professionals to better understand how AI is reshaping the world around us. Again, I'm your host, Matt Eastwood. I'm happy to be here along with my co-host, Stephen Elliott. We're diving into conversations with industry leaders in the field of artificial intelligence who are at the forefront of some of the technology shaping how we do IT today. So if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, we ask that you subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the conversation. So that's a perfect setup to this conversation on automation. And I'd love to get um, Turbonomics' view of, of, of automation and what gets what gets you excited about the role that Turbonomic can play in this area and the kind of the future of automation and as you see it uh, with the customers you're talking with. Yeah, no, it's 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 something we're very very passionate about because there are really two types of automation in this world. There's decision automation, and there's process automation. Decision automation is what is the right thing to do at any time, all the time, at scale, in real time. What lever should I pull to continuously make sure that everything is getting what it needs? The process automation is the implementation of those decisions. Now, when we built this company, this is not something that suddenly popped up in 2008, this idea. In fact, the idea goes all the way back to 1974 on a research paper written to use economic principles to manage IT resources. The problem was that the world was defined in these physical machines where if something broke, I had to send a human to pull a lever. I had to wait for something to happen and then I could go and fix it. But the opportunity that virtualization presented us with and then public cloud and then uh, microservices is everything is now defined in software. I've exposed all the knobs and levers of all the actions that I can take, moving, starting, stopping, reconfiguring. I can actually use software to pull those levers. And that's how our customers consume the software today is first, you have to get folks to agree that software is making the right decision. And it's not a permutation model. It's not trying to figure out if this happens than that. It's a very simple system because what better way to manage demand and supply than using economics? So all the software has to do is make the right decision to match demand and supply. And then how do we operationalize this decision automation? And this is really where the paradigm shift occurs because while the industry is very focused on this bottoms up approach, collect as much data as possible, then try to figure out how to automate things after conditions are met and we never get to the promised land because you'll never get all the right conditions in place and you'll still have humans in the loop trying to validate whether these decisions are right is it the right time to run this run book what we're doing here is we're saying software everything below the application the resources can make the right decision software can pull the lever 
and what we're helping our customers with is operationalizing this. This isn't Skynet. You don't drop this thing in, makes a whole bunch of decisions, pulls a whole bunch of levers, and then chaos happens. No, it's a journey. One of the exciting prospects of automation is, of course, the simplification and the scale that it can help bring to an environment. But one of the real hesitancies is around giving up that control. I'm just wondering if you could just make a few comments about where that resistance may be coming from and, and how Turbonomics helping folks get over that. Yeah, no, it's it's a very interesting one. That's why I was smiling as you asked this question, because you know, who who is our competition to this? You know, we, we don't really compete with any one product on doing this. We compete with business as usual because there is a perception of control, which is we are monitoring, we are looking at all these things. This is our job. This is what we do. We are trying to build the automation. It's very disruptive software because it is going to change the way that people do things. So if you are talking about it to somebody and making them feel like this software is going to replace them, well, that is the wrong approach. This isn't that people aren't doing a good job. This is about a problem that is beyond human scale. So there is a perception of control, but it's not really the reality. We are not solving the problem of how to assure performance today. Pick any data center in the world and you'll see it. They're ignoring how many alerts every single day? More than zero and less than infinity. Why? Because there's so much noise coming out of the systems. So what we're trying to say is, look, there's a better approach that's going to free up people's time so that they can work on innovative projects Instead of trying to come to work every day, waiting for some alarm to go off, figuring out which lever to pull, move, start, stop, or reconfigure, and then doing it again and again and again, you have to make people feel comfortable that this isn't you just drop this thing in and it takes over. This is additive. This solves a problem that people can't solve and you know, it brings all those groups together. So yeah, I mean, I think one of the big themes and the messages there is to really help IT move from that reactive state to being much more proactive. And I'm just curious, Stephen, if you have any thoughts on that in terms of your conversations in the space. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. I think, um, Matt, many of the use case uh, customer conversations we have are really, you know, at a high level about taking that next step in maturity across certain set of processes, across you know, certain sets of teams. For example, we had a recent conversation with a customer and they were thinking about you know, just team collaboration across operations and development and DevOps teams, they were also thinking about, you know, levels of service availability and planned and unplanned downtime. Um, and then there was one executive opt in and said, well, you know, the service is pretty critical. What about the impact on the customer experience? So, you know, there were multiple layers of conversation going on where they started to see the value streams across, you know, what technology could bring across the data across the decision-making, across their sort of automation strategy, uh, across the teams. And, in a, you know, probably most importantly, that all added up to a specific set of, of business discussions and customer-centric discussions. And that's the next step, you know, because it is really, it is about the customer, right? It is about the customer experience, or it should be. And, and you know, it all stems from, you know, have great data, but but have great technology that can make sense of it that can drive some automation and that you have teams and, and the right leadership in place to then measure, you know, the different phases of automation that drive a particular business outcome or an improved customer experience. 
let's let's bring the conversation just back up a click or two. And as we kind of move to close this conversation out, I'm just curious first from from Ovid from your perspective, and then I'll ask Stephen the same question. What's next here? What what what's a piece of advice that we could give to customers ab- about where we see the market heading? What might be coming up next that they need to start to think about? They need to start to prepare for. I might oversimplify it, but I don't think the world is going to change in in the software defined space. I, I think about network, for instance. Network is becoming more and more defined in software. You think about SD WAN, for instance. All of a sudden. If I understand the demand that needs to be shifted across my networks, I can now pull software levers to manage how to align that demand with the supply of the networks. So what about network? That's coming very, very soon. So the way that I look at the world, especially in this space is whatever comes next, it's going to have exactly the same problem. But for the first time in the history of IT, we have a way to shift the paradigm from expecting failure and just introducing the next great tool to help people fix things faster or see what they're using to one where as we move into the future, everybody's going to need a control system. You can only have one. So I'm hopeful that you know this will be the control platform, but this is the only industry that doesn't have one. I mean, I look at the nuclear power industry, for instance, 1979, humans ran around trying to pull levers to adjust the coolant in the system, and we had a partial meltdown. Every nuclear power plant has a control system. But IT is that last industry where we expect to have an outcome that results in failure. So this is where I see the future heading, is a world in which we can expect to succeed in our single mission of providing those platforms, whatever platform comes along, to support the applications that run our businesses. Oh, that's really interesting. So, Stephen, any any thoughts from you on that that you'd like to close on? One of the things is, is I think a lot of companies tend to get almost too overexcited about what they think they can do. And then, you know, we have to sort of say, well, you know, what's your real objective technically? And then what would you like to do for the business? And in a recent conversation, a customer said, well, I'd like to focus on outage avoidance, right? So avoiding outages through predictive automated decision-making. So, you know, that's a pretty powerful statement and it really sort of set the tone for the project and and for the people involved. Um, Another key thing is really double clicking on the analytic models that are, are represented in this tool set. There's a lot of folks that just maybe don't have necessarily uh, a data scientist background and you don't have to, but you should have a, a general context of what are the types of analytic models involved and what will each bring to the table in terms of you know information, intelligence, and, and certain you know automated, in some cases, uh, responses. So I think that the final piece here is, you know, don't underestimate the importance of, of integration. You know, oftentimes you, you'll have great decisions being made uh, that you might need to update other other teams on, uh, particularly if it impacts that customer experience. 
So you know, the value of integration becomes uh, very, very critical for ongoing success and, and you know, building out the early successes that the teams often find as, as they move forward. Perfect. I think that's a great place to bring this conversation to a close. I want to thank Oved for, uh, for joining Stephen and I today and having this conversation around the role that Turbonomic can play in AI ops and in automation and really where, where our industry is heading and how important it is for folks to think about all of these things that we've been talking about today. So thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you, Oved, for joining Stephen and I. Thank you, Matt, for having us on. Really appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to our show, Scaling AI Ops, Artificial Intelligence for IT Specialists for Business Outcomes. Join us next week in our final episode where Stephen and I will speak with Robert Barron from IBM to discuss some of the work they're doing to make AI ops more proactive. We're going to see under the hood of some of the most fascinating technology IBM has put together. Like the time world famous chess champion Gary Kasparov was unseated by the supercomputer Deep Blue. If you've enjoyed this episode of Scaling AI Ops, we ask that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I've been your host, Matt Eastwood. And I'm Stephen Elliott. And thank you for listening to episode two of Scaling AI Ops, a joint venture between IBM and IDC. And we'll see all of you soon.